avail yourself to the website and bulletin, and that way you know all that is ahead. All right, we are going to be in 1 John tonight, chapter number 2, and uh, <clears throat> we're starting to get into the uh, portion of the book uh, where we're going to start calling it Test, because uh, John writes the book saying, if you want to know that you're saved, then read this book. And so these are going to be proofs or check marks or tests that can be done to say, is this a part of your life? Okay, check it off. And so these are things whereby we may test or prove that we belong to Him. If you didn't get a handout, uh, Brother Kyson will go around and, and get you. If you didn't grab one, they were on the back table there. And so if you need one, as he comes by, just catch his attention, and you're very welcome to uh, grab a handout there. Okay. Uh, also be patient with the notes up there. Uh, I think Brother Keegan's got it covered, but uh, he's, he's kind of doing all kinds of stuff up there. So I trust in his capability uh, with all that. All right, found your place there in 1 John chapter 2, and you're able to. Let's stand together. Uh, as we read God's Word, and uh, we'll stand to show honor and respect to the Scriptures here tonight. Okay, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 3 uh, will be where we pick up our reading. Uh, let's start reading there in chapter 1, actually, and uh, verse number 8. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children... These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk, even as He, again speaking of Jesus there, walked. I'd like to uh, preach to you here tonight, do a lesson uh, on this, the test of obedience. The test of obedience. May God bless you in His Word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here tonight. Now, we already uh, talked about this um, as we started this series, but I think it'd be good to maybe revisit this um, of the question, how do I know that I'm saved? Um, I love that there have been songs that have been written and testimonies that have been given of a, you know, no doubt salvation and a no-so salvation. 
And I'm thankful that we can indeed have that, that God has supplied in His Word, uh, the ability to say this, I am 100% sure that I'm on my way to heaven, that my sins are forgiven, and that I belong to Him, that we can be assured of that fact. Now, because it is a fact doesn't necessarily mean that our feelings follow along with that all the time. Okay, facts and feelings, as we've learned in our culture here of recent, sometimes can be quite different. And usually feelings are wrong. <laughs> facts never are. Facts are the facts. But uh, I'm thankful salvation is a matter of fact. It's not a matter of feeling because if we're transparent with ourselves, most believers probably have given a testimony at some point in their life that they didn't quite feel saved. Maybe it was, uh, as we've mentioned before, that there was uh, well-meaning preachers who have gotten up and have said things and said, a saved person wouldn't do this. Or if you didn't say these exact words, or if you didn't do this exact thing, then how can you truly be God's? How can you truly be saved? And um, <clears throat> again, well-meaning, but could maybe come from a, a bad point where it causes people to have doubts and problems in their mind. Uh, also, we have an enemy, Satan, who would love for nothing better than for you to constantly be sitting there and, and struggling with this issue in your own heart and in your own mind. And the enemy, one of his main names that he's called, is the deceiver because he loves to get in and to deceive and trick and to cause all kinds of mental turmoil in our hearts. So that there is a huge difference between the fact of I know that I have trusted in Christ and the feeling that sometimes doesn't always uh, accompany that. Now, I'm so thankful that we have a word of God and that we have a Holy Spirit that gives us assurance about our salvation. Now, one thing that I, I started to dig into uh, as in my own life, again, if you hadn't been here, my, my testimony is, like I say, when I was five years old, I know I trusted in Christ. I, I remember it. I don't remember all the nitty-gritty details because I was five years old. But I do remember knowing I needed Jesus and believing on Him. I remember getting baptized. I remember those details. But uh, as the case would be, as I got older, there were opportunities for doubt and for struggles in that area uh, so that I got resaved. A bunch. Oftentimes in the quiet of my own bed, uh, as I'm laying there, even up until college years, laying there in a dorm bed and laying in the bed saying, well, man, that message today, I don't know. I, I didn't do exactly what that guy said, and now I'm struggling with this again. And you're laying there, and just in case. right? And then I started to realize I wasn't alone in that. The more I started talking to other believers the more I started to realize that there were those who had those same struggles and that had known the fact that they had placed their faith in Christ. And a revolutionary thing happened for me uh, in my 20s where God helped me to finally understand this, that my salvation didn't rest in what I did, it rested in what Jesus did. And all I had to do was put faith in that. And, and I'm telling you, it was revolutionary for me at that moment when I realized this. My salvation was not dependent on the prayer 
or on me doing certain steps or in me remembering certain things. My salvation was solely dependent on Jesus. So the question then became this, do I trust him or not? That, that's where it ultimately rested. So as I studied the book of 1 John, because John said this is why he wrote the book, I started to come to more uh, deep conclusions about not only that truth, but being able to find identifying markers where John said, here is, if you will, a test whereby you can legitimately see, uh, am I in Christ? So whether it's somebody who has propagated a false gospel that's got you all confused, or whether it's the deceiver, Satan, who's got your facts and feelings all kinds of crazy, maybe it is your, uh, which we're going to talk about this some tonight, you're in sin. It is possible for a child of God to be wayward and away from God and in gross sin. Amen. There's lots of examples in the scripture. Well, I'm telling you what, that's a good place to start doubting right there. And being that far away from where God wants you to be. I mean, the prodigal son in the pig pen, he's looking at himself and he's like, what have I done? And we can get to that point, okay? And so <clears throat> the, the whole point of John's uh, message here, of 1 John, is understanding I'm writing these things so that whatever has caused you to doubt, you can know that you know that you know. You can have that 100% no-so, take it to the bank, that I'm saved. And so he gives proof test. This is how we can prove whether this is legitimate or not. Uh, if you've ever worked in any form of retail or banking, they make these cool little pins that you can take and mark on a, uh, a bill. And if it's counterfeit, it'll turn black. And if not, it kind of stays this clear yellowish color. Now, if you will, John is giving us a pen that we can take and we can mark our life with and we can say this, is what we are claiming is salvation, is it truly biblical salvation? And could we say this, am I truly saved? And say this, we can mark it and see if it's real or not, if it's genuine. Now listen, that's not up for a preacher to determine and that's not up for a congregation to take a vote. Is that person saved or not? God will sort out all the wheat and the tare when he returns. But the Bible does say this. You ought to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That there is a, 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 a thing that is upon every believer to say this. Am I in Christ? And it is a determination that you must make. Right? So if someone comes and they're doubting their salvation... I have the opportunity as a pastor to take them to the scriptures and show them what the Bible says, but I can't make the determination, you are or you aren't. You have to come to that conclusion as you read the scriptures to say this, did I truly believe in Christ and are there evidences that Christ has indeed entered my life? And so I'm so thankful that we have this book. And so uh, we've kind of laid the groundwork, if you will, of why John has written the book, which is this. There were people who were saying uh, false things about the gospel, and all these people are super confused now. There were people who were saying, well, your body and your spirit are separate things, and you can live any way you want to and just be in gross sin, and God doesn't care, and yet at the same time, you can be sinless, you will never sin again. And people were just confused. 
And so, because of all the confusion, John writes in and says, here is the gospel as it was given in the beginning, and here is what it manifests in somebody who's truly saved. This is what the test would reveal. If someone is truly saved, these are some markers or some things that are there. So, let's take a look at this first one that John gives us, um, <clears throat> this marker, this test. Now, Kind of already done a little bit of review on this, but let's do it real quick because you got the blanks there in your notes. Okay, so John's journey so far, a review here. Verses 1 through 4, we know this, Jesus brings joy, so be joyful in Christ. Uh, basically, John, in those first few verses, he lays the groundwork. He says this, quit looking for your phone using your phone. You know that silly thing, if you've ever done that, you've used your phone with the flashlights. Where's my phone at? And a lot of believers are doing that. They're walking around looking for joy. When it's right in front of their face, it's Jesus. Quit looking everywhere else. It's right there. And so John is saying, hey, listen, the gospel you received at the beginning, rest in that truth. Rest in the truth of the gospel and the joy that is Jesus. Quit getting confused with all this other mess. Okay, in verses uh, 5 through 7, he then goes on and talks about this. Sin is always a barrier to fellowship with God. So, no matter where you go in the scriptures, no matter where you go in a person's life, if you see sin, you will find something that prevents fellowship with God. It's the whole reason Jesus had to come and die on the cross for our sins, so that we might have restored fellowship with Him, we could be with Him again. Okay? And so, Christ, of course, uh, restores that fellowship, but sin is always a barrier. And then last week we talked about this, I think a revolutionary truth, if you can get this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through uh, John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, which is this, God wants us to confess our sin, not to conceal our sin. Okay? You, you, when, when you sin, because you will, if a man says he has no sin, the Bible says he's a liar, because we all struggle with sin. So here's the thing, and when you struggle with sin, when you mess up, when you sin, you have something you can do. You can either confess it, or you can cover it up and conceal it. Here's the problem, when you try to cover it up, you're deceiving yourself. It's just going to hurt you in the long run, it's going to cause problems. So God wants you to confess, not to conceal sin. So now we're going to have this major test to bring to light if our salvation is genuine, he has talked a lot about the sin of commission or doing sins. Now he's going to talk about this when we don't do what we're supposed to do or a sin of omission, failing to obey the word of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> he gives us evidence that a person is in Christ. Okay, So <clears throat> for the person who asks the question, how do I know? How do, how do I know that I'm saved? Maybe it's because of your own personal testimony, as we've already talked about. That's kind of what the case was with me. Um, maybe you got saved at a young age. Maybe it's since salvation you've gotten away from the Lord and in sin. Maybe it's because like what John is writing about here, that somebody came along and they told you something that wasn't entirely true and now you're confused about it. And so now you're confused about what salvation truly is supposed to be and how it all works. And I'm thankful God's Word hasn't left us in the dark and we don't have to shoot from the hip, but we have the Scriptures that can help us with this. Now, he says this, they will keep the commandments and the word of God. So, evidence that a person is in Christ is this, that they will keep the commandments and the word of God. Now, I want to be very careful how I, how I deal with this. Okay? John is very blunt 
with how he deals with this. And so we want to be blunt, but we also want to be clear in, in exactly what he's talking about. So let me deal with each of these words uh, as he begins to give them to us. In verse number three, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, <clears throat> the word keep there, it literally means to guard, erect a fortress, and keep an eye on, like setting a watch over something. So when he's talking about setting up this idea of a, of a keep, the idea is adhering to or observing something like a guard would set a watch over a fortress. I've had the opportunity twice in my life to go to uh, Washington, D.C., and both times had the opportunity to go to uh, Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, if you've never been there before, it's just awe-inspiring. It's just a, a beautiful uh, property there and um, obviously a lot of history and, but probably the thing that most people go to Arlington National Cemetery for is to see the changing of the guard or the tomb of the unknown soldier where they do the changing of the guard. Now, if you're unaware of what this is, this tomb, uh, which is dedicated to those who were unidentified in the wars that the United States has fought in and been involved in, it is guarded by soldiers who are specifically chosen. I mean, it is a very high honor to be able to do this. They guard it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They go 21 steps, pause 21 seconds, and then take 21 more steps. There's a specific cadence, specific way their uniforms will be done. All of it is very, very uh, honoring to what the position is. Now, those guards... And what they're doing, they are keeping a watch over that tomb. They are guarding it. They are keeping it. Now, I don't know the legitimacy of the story, but I've heard it been told that there was a hurricane that was blowing in at that area up around D.C. And that these men, because of the severity of this storm, were told that they could abandon their post for that storm because there would be threat of their life. And these men said, no, we have a charge that's been given to us to keep, and we will continue to do it. And supposedly, the winds were so high that they were actually out there on their hands and knees crawling to keep the cadence to continue to keep their post and watch this and change out their guards. Now, now listen, what, what was that? That was somebody who recognized this. I have something that I've been given as a duty to keep, to watch, to be vigilant in my guard. And so when uh, John uses this word here to keep, that is the idea that he's using, that we are to observe with great vigilance, we are to guard, we are to set a watch, we are to keep an eye on uh, like it matters, like it really ought to be a big deal for us. So what exactly are we keeping as Christians? What exactly are we supposed to be setting a watch over and guarding? Well, what is an evidence that shows a Christian is indeed a child of God, according to John here? What are they keeping over? Well, they're keeping over God's commandments. Now, commandments is an Old Testament word, of course, that deals with the laws and ordinances given by God. So we can say it this way, the commandments are the laws of God, those Old Testament laws that are given. Now, we could look to the Old Testament and identify God's law that was given to man to be kept. So, we say it this way, God's given us instruction 
in his word, in the commandments, and, and we are to observe, we are to keep, we are to guard those things. Now, this is not just saying the commandments are held in mind here, because if you jump down to verse number 5, it says this, but whoso keepeth his word. Now, where commandments holds the idea of an Old Testament guard of Old Testament laws, the word holds a much broader spectrum of things here. Now, <clears throat> don't, don't miss this, okay? So the word takes the idea of what the commandments are and elaborates on it to a fuller extent. And again, I wish we had the time to really dive into all these verses and show this, but it starts to develop the idea in these verses of this. When God is talking about keeping or observing or being vigilant to hold true to the commandments, and then when he says in verse 5 that we are to watch the words, it is more than just the ideas that are contained within a book. It goes beyond that to a person. Because the embodiment of the commandments of God and the embodiment of what the Word of God is it moves beyond just the written word to the living word. Now, again, the passage of Scripture here helps us start to understand this. Notice in verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So that he's drawing a comparison here and helping us understand this. To observe and keep the word is to live like Jesus. So that if we give good attention to who Jesus is, we will give good attention to the word because they are one in the same. Jesus actually even said this over in Matthew chapter number 22 and verse number 27, 37 through verse number 40. I'll put these up on the screen there so you can see it. He says this, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Even in our text, John will go on to explain this truth in greater detail. The commandment of the Lord he is most interested in is love for the brethren. If you jump down in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he would say it this way. <clears throat> Again, 1 John 2, so you got your Bible open there, you can see it, or we'll put it up on the screens here also. 1 John 2, verse 8 through 10. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Now, let me kind of tie a little bow around this of what we're talking about. John is not talking about this. God has not called us as Christians to have some rudimentary understanding that we are just to drudge through a set of rules. That if that is your understanding of the Christian life, you are sadly mistaken. Now, what are you talking about? Okay, God has not given us a book that is a set of instructions that is like step one, step two, step three, 
and we are just to, like a robot, uh, just follow those things like a regimented following of instructions, and there's, there's no relationship, there, there's no connection with our God. It's just, a, well, I better do this or I'm going to get thumped. Well, if I don't do this, then <clears throat> God's going to cut me off. Now, a lot of people have that kind of understanding that that is how God operates and how He works. And yet we understand from the New Testament that we are at liberty in Christ and we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. And so when he talks about observing the commandments and watching the word and watching the law, the the idea that he's presenting here is simply this, is a deep-seated love and deep heart of relationship with Jesus Christ. A watching of the word, Jesus, that then compels us that we will keep the commandments. So I'll get a little ahead of myself just so I can clarify some of this and we'll get back into the weeds. So what John is simply saying is this. If someone's truly saved and they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they usually don't have a problem keeping his commandments because they have a desire to walk with him. And the direction and the path that God is going, that Christ is going, as he says there in verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him, in Jesus, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. If Jesus is walking that away, and you say you have a relationship with him, and you are watching him, and you are keeping him, and Jesus is walking this way, you ought not have any problem doing what Jesus did, because you're fellowshipping with him, and you're going with him. So John is not talking about somebody who's sitting there and they're just reading the scriptures and they're keeping every single little jot and tittle and they're just following every... He's simply saying this, they have a walk and a relationship with the living word that helps them follow the written word. It's just a natural outflowing of it. So again, let's just kind of look at some other proof text in the scriptures here as it talks about this. So we understand this, not only uh, the first point there, they will keep the commandments of the Word of God, but also they'll have this, the love of God is perfected in them. The love of God is perfected in them. He talks about this in verse number 5, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. John is not talking about being sinless. The word perfect here doesn't mean that you are without sin. If anybody thinks that, all they need to do is back up a few verses, 1 John 1.8, where it simply says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. God does not expect you to be perfect in the sense that we oftentimes use it. So instead, the word perfect here has to do with this maturity. We are not talking about sinless perfection. When perfection is talked about here, it's talking about this, maturity, completion. Kind of like when you think about a uh, certificate of deposit, a CD at a bank. If it's a six-month CD, you put it in there at the end of that six months, it is now mature. It has come to its completion date. It is finished. Now listen, God says this, He is going to give us what we need to take us to perfection And God's love can be absolutely perfected in us. 
Now, my love for God motivates me to live holy and to serve Him. So, John's whole point in all of this is simply saying this, I will keep the commandments of God because I have a relationship with Him, and my love for Jesus makes me want to obey Him. This is not contained just in this scripture alone. 2 Corinthians 5.14 would say it this way, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Paul talking there, he simply said this, I can't help but do the things God instructs me to because His love, it's like a compelling force. It makes me, it constrains me. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19 talks some about this also. I, I want to know how to love Him. And I don't know how to love Him like I ought to, but I love Him because He first loved me. Ephesians 3, 18, 19 says, uh, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which patheth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. Simply saying this, one of the things is Jesus didn't just die and now he's just aloof and he's just an absent God. He desires to be known of us and desires for us to know him. And, and he, there's an intimate relationship that's desired there. And you'll never fully comprehend all the love of God, which makes 1 John 4, 19 so amazing. We love him because he first loved us. Now, again, we, we could dive into this so much more royally and deep, deeply here, but, but the love that's talked about here is a, a heavenly love, a godly love that only God could love us with. And the only way we know how to express that love back to Him or to love other people like we ought to is because He first loved us. And so John, as he, he writes about this, he's saying, listen, a, a person who manifests this type of love the only way that's possible is that they are in Christ. That's it. There's no other way that that love could be manifest. Now, just as we can diagnose our spiritual condition, identifying if we are in Christ, we can also detect if we are not in Christ by this same test. So let me give you this. The evidences of why or that a person is not in Christ. The evidence that a person is not in Christ. So verse number four, he says this. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. They will not keep the commandments and the word of God. A person who doesn't belong to Christ will have no interest in habitually following his commandments and following his words. Do not misunderstand this. Somebody says, well, I don't always follow God's word. I don't always have deep passion and love for my God and follow him. Well, welcome to the club. That's called being saved and still living in broken, fallen world and fallen flesh. And, and so we, we can't be without sin. And John's not even talking about that. But, but listen, if we belong to him... There ought to be something in us when we do wrong that gnaws at us that says, that's wrong. A Holy Spirit of conviction on us. Amen. There ought also to be this prompting of us that says, we need to do right. Move in the right direction. Think right. Love God. Be a church. Serve the Lord. Now listen, if those compelling forces have never been present in your life, there ought to be some red flags. 
There ought to be some things to say, hold on, am I really belong to the Lord? Because a person who belongs to the Lord and claims to walk with Him and yet has zero desire to have obedience to Him, there ought to be some red flags there, some concerns that start to come up. Instead of this being sinless perfection, it has so much to do with a pattern in a person's life. The pattern of your life. Do you sin habitually with no regard to God's word or desire to please Him? When you sin, is your only remorse in the fact that you might get caught or that there might be consequences? Or are you really offended or upset that you offended a holy God and have done something against God? It not only has to do with the pattern of life, but the desire to please Him. Do you love God? The love of God will not be perfected in people that are unsaved. Since they have not experienced the love and forgiveness and grace of God, they cannot have it shed abroad in their hearts and thus cannot give it back to Him. How can I love God if He hasn't first loved me? If I haven't first experienced that love of God? Their love is not about what they can do for others, but what they can get, and it becomes a selfish love. So we can summarize the text this way. Uh, we've been given what's called the central idea of the text. This is what it all kind of boils down to. Here's what it is. John declares that a believer will know they are in Christ because they habitually pursue obedience to God's Word. Now, if a person is truly saved, God's love will lead them to obey God's Word. Now, <clears throat> let me stick to my notes here because I'm going to get ahead of myself and get in trouble if I don't do that. Okay, so let's do this. Here's the question. Are you saved? Now, this is a question we're going to come to a bunch with this. I need to be very clear, as I hope to be, because I've experienced this in my own life where a well-meaning preacher got up and said something that then caused me to doubt unnecessarily. But... I also believe as a preacher there is an important responsibility to preach the Word and allow God's Word to do the convicting. And I don't ever want to stand up here and say, now nobody needs to worry about this, when maybe it is that the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to worry about that. But I also want to be sensitive to understand that there could be those who have struggled with this idea of knowing for sure that they're saved, and I don't want to bring up something that's going to cause you to doubt unnecessarily. So let's take a look in a scriptural sense of what John has given us and ask the question legitimately, are you saved? Remember, John wrote this book not to make you doubt your salvation, but to make you assured that you indeed are saved. That was his whole point behind the book. Okay. <clears throat> now, John's test is simple here. A person who is saved loves God and wants to keep His commandment and word. That, that's John's test. He says if a person's saved, they have a love for God, and that love for the, the living Word comes out as an obedience to the written Word. It's just an outflow of that. Okay? <clears throat> they don't live in habitual sin. They may stumble into sin. They may mess up, but they'll move towards God. Okay? Um, got a little ahead of myself there. So they're not in habitual sin, but rather in pursuit of obedience. Then number three there, they may stumble and they may sin, but they confess and keep moving toward God. Now this is a person who is legitimately saved, 
in their life, these are markers and identifiers of what a saved person will have in their life. Now, a person who is unsaved, then on the flip side of that, doesn't love God. And this is evident because they do not keep His commandments. They don't keep His word. They live in habitual sin. They're not in a pursuit of obedience to Christ or to His word. They refuse to confess sin and instead conceal it before God. So the question is, based on God's word, are you saved? So on this test that's being brought before us tonight, here's the test. It's simply this. Has there been evidence in your life that Christ is in you because you have a desire to keep His Word. If there has never been any iota of desire to follow and keep the Word, repent of sin, be right with God, we say this, according to the Scriptures, we say this, Elian, that is a marker of a person that is saved. Now again, <clears throat> let me be clear as I go into this. As we've already said, it says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. But I want to be um, clear on this as we kind of land the plane with this. Maybe it is that you're saved but living in sin. I genuinely believe, not only me believing it, but the Scriptures declare that there are individuals who are indeed saved and yet are living in sin, away from where God wants them to be, a prodigal. Maybe it is in your life you have experienced true, genuine salvation, but you're in a very real battle with sin right now in your life. A very real battle. You know it's wrong. You've confessed it to God 10,000 times, but still seem to struggle with this same sin over and over and over again. Each time you sin, you genuinely feel, I have done something against God, and you feel yourself becoming desensitized, searing your conscience the further you go into it. And maybe you've reached a point where you say this, I'll never have victory over this sin. I'll never get over it. How could I even be saved? Because a saved person wouldn't be struggling with sin like this. Okay, the fact that you're struggling with sin is what John just said is evidence that you are saved. Let that sink in for just a second. Because somebody who's unregenerate isn't going to struggle with it. Now, that's a test. Don't just go on that one thing. That's why there's a whole book that's given here. But that's one test that you can check the mark off and say, am I struggling with sin? Do I want to be right with God? Do I want to get this stuff out of my life? John says that's an evidence that you want to walk in the Word. You want to keep His commandments. So maybe it is that you're struggling with sin. Well, what are you supposed to do? Well, rinse, wash, repeat last week's message, which is this. Don't conceal your sin. Confess your sin. <laughs> which is this. 1 John 1, 9, if we've sinned, confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James says, confess our faults one to another and be healed. Remember, God doesn't want you to conceal this, but confess it. Expose it to the light. Well, let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here tonight. Father, I pray that you will bless.